0: Canucks in Qatar is brought to you by Pathways Alliance. Climate change is a critical challenge, so Canada's six largest oil sands companies have joined forces on a path to net zero. See how at pathwaysalliance.ca. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Canucks in Qatar, the Scores soccer podcast dedicated to everything in and around Canada's men's national team at the 2022 World Cup. I'm your host, John luc Neshi, and on today's show, the Canucks are no longer in Qatar. Canada's involvement at the tournament officially comes to an end with a spirited 2-1 defeat against Morocco that ensured Canada's agonizing weight for a first ever point at the men's world cup will extend until at least 2026 we hope only until 2026 to break it all down i'm joined by my lovely and talented colleagues daniel rouse all right and sitting next to him drum roll please the only member of our crew who looks like sam piet has a quaffed mustache like Stephanie eustachio is faster than alfonso davies has a better left foot than Sam Adekubi, stronger than Lucas Cavallini, provides better crosses than Tejon Buchanan, and looks sharper in a nicely tailored suit than John Herdman. Michael Chandler is here. Tell me
1: lies. Tell me. <laughs> well, Sweet little lies. I'll tell you the
2: truth. You're also as valuable to this podcast as Derek Cornelius is to Canada's kind of <laughs> World Cup squad.
1: <laughs> oh. I think uh,
0: I think I got all your introductions in there, Chen. That
1: was beautiful. Thank you. It's going to my LinkedIn.
0: The only way to confirm is to go back and listen to every previous episode of this podcast series.
2: Which we encourage you to do. <laughs> Please do. Please do. I won't do it, but you can yeah. do it. At your own peril. Rose
0: hasn't listened to a single show. Nah. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, let's jump into it. Canada, as I said, officially waved goodbye to the World Cup with a 2-1 defeat to Morocco. Before we take a more sort of macro look at this tournament, let's examine what we saw at the Al Altumama Stadium on Thursday. Very partisan, very pro-Morocco Al Altumama Stadium. Going into this game, I think we wanted Canada to just have a go, right? You know, leave it all out there. They were already eliminated, but put in a performance that we could be proud of, that the players could look back on and be proud of. You know, Chandler, ragged start, four minutes in where we thought, uh-oh, this could be a huge letdown and they might get run over by a team desperately trying to win the group, but they recovered. They showed the fight we wanted to see. They played some good football, created chances against a great defensive team. And they were, what, two inches away from, from earning that point? The agonizing Atiba Hutchinson header that hit the bar and bounced down on the line. Some bad, some good, sort of like what we've seen overall from this team. But how are you feeling right now after that match?
1: Uh, a mix of feelings. A little bit disappointment i wouldn't say canada was the biggest disappointment at the world cup i think you can look at uh teams like belgium and perhaps denmark as being the most disappointing but a lot of regret um, really should have come into this match with at least three points and a victory against Belgium. Uh, instead, they were looking for their first World Cup point, and they didn't accomplish that. And like you said, it started off horribly, a really poorly uh, weighted back pass from central defender Steven Vittoria to Milan Borian. Borian had a few options. He could have played a short to Kamal Miller. He could have booted it into row C. He that ball have, should have
0: went out of the stadium.
1: It should have gone... Anywhere and everywhere except where it went. Uh, and it fell to Hakim Ziyech, who then chipped the keeper 1-0 Morocco inside of five minutes. And it very much set the tone for a match that I don't think Canada ever had control of or ever uh, played at a tempo that they would have preferred.
2: And are we all in agreement that we're a little bit downhearted and a little bit disappointed with Herdman's tactics here?
1: I am yeah I think his tactical naivety was on full display and after the decision not to play three midfielders versus Croatia proved to be a glaring oversight um, he did it again we knew Morocco was going to go with a three-man midfield of Sofia and Amarbat, who low-key, I think, has been one of the players of the tournament and might even count as two midfielders, just <laughs> by virtue of the amount of ground he covered and, and his tenacity in tackles. But it was Amrabat, Abdelhamid Sabidi, and Azzedine Unahi, and they all performed immensely. And we were just outnumbered in the midfield again. And it's the whole sort of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Well that was sort of indicative of this uh, aforementioned tactical naivety from Herdman. And and so much was about, you know, the, this learning experience from Canada and learning from your mistakes. And he made the second, the same errors, two matches in a row.
2: Yeah. The whole uh, midfield thing was just a little bit confusing to me. I mean, Amrabat had more passes, better pac- passing accuracy and more touches than he did in the previous two games in this group. So, you know, it was that two centre midfielders against three centre midfielders, same, you no know, issue again. I mean, We have to say Amrabat was excellent in this game. I think it's probably his best performance of the tournament so far. At one point, he kind of like got up after making a crunching tackle and kind of had a tantrum at his teammates, which was really good to see. He was really fired up for this. But, you know, there are still ways to subdue him a little bit. And I just don't think Herdman explored those at all.
1: He did not, and I mean we questioned the squad selection after the four one drubbing against Croatia. And when the starting eleven came out about an hour and a half before the match and I saw Mark Anthony K in a two-man midfield next to Jonathan Asoria. I was just wondering why. Like, is that a sentimental? Selection sort of reminiscent of Atiba Hutchinson starting in the midfield against Croatian, getting completely overrun. I mean, Mark anthony K is a fine player. Uh, his level is MLS. He's been okay for Toronto FC since moving from the Colorado Rapids. But MLS is very much his level, and especially in an undermanned midfield. Um, him playing next to, I guess, sort of the creative fulcrum in Jonathan Osorio. Didn't do much for me. Um, and also looking forward, like we're three and a half years from hosting a World Cup at this juncture, after the third match day, we have no chance of qualifying. So let's look forward. Let's play players who are going to be influential going forward. Let's start Ishmael Kone, who is very much uh, uh, the future of this program. Uh, With all due respect to Kay, he should not have been starting today. And that seemed almost like a concession for me, like a sentimental pick. And secondarily, Milan Borjan, lovely fellow. He's been a loyal servant uh, to the team. He's very much an on-pitch leader and a leader in a dressing room. But he's always good for one major blunder, and it took all of four and a half minutes for that to rear its ugly head. And and like with Kay, who's probably not going to play a factor in the 2026 selection, same goes for Borean. I mean, Dane St. Clair, Minnesota United keeper, arguably one of the better keepers at MLS this past season. He's going to play a role in that 2026 team, barring something unexpected. Why not give him a shot today? Why not let him? Experience sort of the rigors of playing on this stage.
2: Yeah, I think we were both in agreement about Saint Clair should have started this game before. I mean, you know, obviously you can't account for what Boyan did. I mean, with that pass that came from, he kind of you know ran out like he was going to address a pan fire, you know, going to go and extinguish it, and he just threw old newspaper and kindling on it. It was just awful. um I don't think you know we can't say that Saint Clair wouldn't have made the same mistake, but he would have definitely benefited a lot more from this experience, being on that kind of stage. What what did Boyan benefit from being out there today?
0: Yeah, and it was strange because obviously an unfortunate way to start that game, it sort of ruins any sort of tactical plan that you had going in where four minutes in, you're already chasing the game against a team that hasn't conceded a goal since June, six matches overall in all competitions, friendlies and the World Cup, coming into this game for Morocco. So defensively stout, going to be difficult to break down and able to hit you on the counter. And um, when you have to open up and chase the game so early on, it ruins whatever sort of plan you went into it with. Chandler, you mentioned Ishmael Kone. That's the one I wanted to go back to because, look, clearly John Herdman thinks that he can play at this level. He's played him already in multiple games, and he came off the bench again here. So this isn't a case of not trusting him to handle the moment, um, something that he's going to be overawed by. When he looks back on it, when John Herdman, looks back on his decisions, that's going to be the one that he perhaps would like a mulligan on.
1: But like, imagine not having trust or faith in Kone, but having it in K, I I just don't see it, especially when undermanned... In the midfield, like maybe K is a bit more of a prototypical defensive midfielder who's a little bit more responsible, but he's a way higher risk reward player and he's just very liable to make a poor tackle. It just made no sense to me. And after, you know, one of the main takeaways of the Croatia match was this aforementioned tactical naivety from Herdman. He, he showed it again and that was maybe my most frustrating takeaway from uh, the defeat to Morocco.
2: Yeah, I think we're all in agreement we'd have Coney ahead of Kay, but to be honest, I'd probably have Piet over K.
1: Yeah, I don't mind that. He had a really, really excellent year with CF Montreal, uh, and he's quite limited in what he does. But if you just want like a no-nonsense kind of a grafting defensive midfielder, Piette could do the job. I mean, look, hindsight's twenty-twenty. At the end of the day, he could have picked a lot of midfielders, mm-hmm. But playing two midfielders against three is a battle you're very rarely going just to win. just simple math,
0: ultimately, like it was against Croatia. You know, Morocco's three-man midfield was not a surprise. This didn't come out of left field an hour before kickoff. They've been doing this all tournament long. And, um, you know, it would be one thing if Canada didn't see this three days ago, literally this same problem three days ago. You don't need to have Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic in there to realize that three against two is just a mathematical advantage. Um, And I think it took until they made a little bit of a tactical tweak. Alfonso Davies started playing in an unfamiliar position out on the right, which I think we'll get into a little bit as well. Another sort of confounding decision, taking your best player and putting him somewhere where he doesn't play, where he hasn't played and, and limiting your best weapon, frankly. But then he had more of a free role where... Again, not a familiar position for him where he was dropping all over the place at one point, but it was just an extra body, an extra presence who could float around in midfield and at least take away some of those supply lines to especially Sofiane Ammerbet.
1: And especially for a Canada side who, less so against Belgium, but in the last two matches of the group stage, their shape and structure was really, really, really poor. Uh, And at times we weren't, even clear what formation they were playing and then you have your focal point at the top davies uh to his credit i thought he played okay against morocco but i mean who knows what his role is what he was doing out there whether that's his own ambition or whether that's coming from herdman on the touchline we don't know and we won't get like an honest and forthright answer on that but it it was just sort of like a a chicken running around with its its head cut off Uh, and, and I just don't think it represented Herdman well. I mean, coming into the tournament, a lot of eyes on him, you know, um, and I don't think he did a lot to boost his profile of sort of a, a tactically geared manager
2: yeah I mean, as the game went on, it almost looked like Davies had a free role, and he could basically do what he wanted, and I don't know if that was an instruction for herdman you know, from Herdman to say you no, know, pick up the space, do what you no know, address what you feel like needs to be addressed or whether you know Davies took that upon himself because we definitely saw him go into the center and try and bulk up the midfield a little bit and try and compete in midfield. So yeah, we'll never know if that was Herdman or whether that was Davies just under his own volition. I think um you know aside from the you know tactical missteps from Herdman, which were addressed, I think it's fair to say there was another big gap in quality here. I think uh, Will and Green and Morocco were the best team in this group. I'm happy with how it. you know, I think the this final standings of Morocco, then Croatia, then Belgium and then Canada are a very fair reflection of what happened in this group. And, you know, aside from, I can remember there was a nice bit of interplay between um, Larin and Hoyler, I think it was, and then the ball went across. And, you know, if Buchanan had slightly longer toenails, he might have knocked it in. <laughs> um, you know, aside from that, the showings of quality from Canada were few and far between whereas otherwise I think Morocco had that big quality we talked about Sofyan Amrabat, but also you know we can talk about Morocco's second goal I know the defending was a little bit unconvincing from Canada I mean Kamal Miller looked like he was uh kind of running the wrong way down you know one of those walking you know moving walkways at an airport there he was just so slow but the ball over from Hakimi was just next level, wasn't it? And, and N- series. who hasn't scored since, I think since Morocco last reached the knockout round in 1986. He I mean, hasn't
0: scored a goal in what yeah. feels like a calendar year.
2: Cracking finish. I know people want to jump on Boyan, particularly after his mistake for the first goal, but no, he really struck that well. And I think that's a quality that has set Canada apart from the rest in this group, really.
0: Aggravating though, that similar to that Belgium game, just one ball direct from the back and they cut them open almost like nothing. Um, it speaks to some of the concerns we had going into this tournament about the back line and the step-up in quality and would those three guys be able to handle that step-up in quality? There were times where they looked like they could hang, but again, that goal against Belgium, I don't pin too much of the the result against Croatia on them. They got overrun in midfield. You need a shield in front of you, um, otherwise you're going to be exposed. But this goal, certainly, uh, the first two goals, I mean, Steven Vittoria with that terrible back pass, and then again, just one ball, Beautiful pass from Hakimi, granted, but it's just too easy. You need to make life more difficult on opponents at this level. They can't pick you off so easily.
1: And I'm flogging a dead horse here, but it comes back to the tactical nuances of football. They're playing a high press for the most part, something that... They found great success in qualifiers. But if you're playing a high press, then you play a high line at the back or else you're just going to be you know, outplayed all over the pitch. There's just going to be gaps everywhere. You can't play a high line when you have players who are physically limited like a Vittoria or a Miller. And and credit to Miller, I thought, despite kind of a really poor showing against Croatia, I thought he was one of the bright spots he for Canada yeah. this World Cup. But you have to know you're playing a high line Against a team who boasts the likes of uh, you know real pace merchants and, and tricky players like a Buffal or Ziyech, that high line's gonna burn you. And then, like you said, that they, they made El Nezri look like Pele out there, like which is just uh, unnecessary. I have a lot of regrets about the way this team set up and its tactics, more so than I have regrets with the players' individual performances.
2: Yeah, we just got to hope that we've produced some centre-backs in the next three and a half years because Vittorio, I know he's in his mid-30s, so I'm kind of reluctant to really have a go at him, but he was kind of all over the shop today. He was kind of wandering out of position a lot. He was very much off the pace. And if you look on the bench, the two defenders who haven't been used during this campaign at all, Cornelius and then Waterman, you know, they they, they are going to be of a decent age going into the next World Cup, but are they going to be of a decent standard?
1: I don't think so. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being in your mid-30s, is there, Daniel? <laughs> I'm surprised you can remember him. Yes. <laughs> All right, moving on.
0: I was just going to say, how do you compare mid-30s to mid-50s? But uh... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Do you have the boxing gloves with you here today or no? Did not bring them. Uh, see, then we can make fun of him as much as we
1: want. You can no. go bare knuckle if you'd like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. We love you. All right. Um, You know, we talked a lot about already the disappointing performances and, and John Herdman, chief among them, in setting up this team uh, in a way that doesn't get the best out of the players. But there were some bright spots from Canada individually. Uh, who do you think stood out and made a good account of themselves despite the ultimate result here?
2: I think Hoylett's deserving of a little bit of uh, credit here. I think, you know, he's not he's not going to be like putting a groundbreaking performance, is he? But I think when he's been on the pitch for Canada during this tournament, I think he's been very functional. I think he's done exactly what Herman's asked of him. And today, you know, he's mucked in with with five tackles despite being subbed off with about over fifteen minutes to go. Uh, played a couple of you no know, key passes, and I, I mentioned that exchange earlier as well with Carl Laren, which was really really tidy about you know, a quarter of an hour into the first half. So. I think Hoylett's done okay. Um, A decent sign off for him because obviously we probably won't see him in 2026.
1: I've not got much to add there because I was going to say Hoylett as well, who did complete 90% of his passes. Absolute peach of a man and a tireless worker on the pitch. Uh, I thought Davies was okay. The set piece delivery throughout the tournament was not good, but again, he was tasked with playing multiple roles. I'm not exactly sure what he was doing out there and was always sort of meriting double coverage uh, from the Moroccans. So, he had a tough task. Uh, Alistair Johnson, as well, maybe the least technically gifted of Canada's players, but man, he plays with a lot of heart. And were he just a little bit better at heading the ball or jumping, yeah, it might have been 2-2. Two, two. Oh,
2: well. And um, what about Atiba Hutchinson as well? Like I you know, I, I think we kind of like it seems a bit harsh, but I feel like we had a collective groan when it saw he was coming on because we wanted somebody else to come on. You know, obviously sore memories of his performance against Croatia as well. But I thought he, you know, did quite well there. And obviously almost a crowning moment in his 101st <sighs> cap out there. Inches, o- inches Off away. the crossbar, yeah. And, and so many times we've seen that bounce over the line and come out. And it almost was half the ball was over the line. So unlucky for the fella. Alistair Johnston, you know, if he got his jump better as well, could have probably scored the header on the follow-up. As But yeah, the good performances and the bad performances here were kind of few and far between a bad performance would predominantly in central central defence and otherwise it was just
1: pedestrian from but Canada, that's probably that's it isn't it? it's inches it's fine margins that's after right. years level, of qualifying right. and years of build up essentially it comes down to 270 minutes of football plus you know, whatever few minutes of added time, and, and not it's, at this tournament, yeah, no. it's like
0: half an hour added time. Mm-hmm.
1: It's fine margins, it's inches. Uh, that header off the bar, like we saw the goal line technology just narrowly missed, completely going over. And that's that's what this sport is. It's fine margins, tight lines, and you hope to be on the good side of it. And In this instance, they weren't, but and it was sort of emblematic of uh, of a tournament of what what ifs for Canada, and uh, and hopefully they can take that back and learn something from it
2: obviously Adekubi had a decent game he, he forced the own goal that happened and he actually um, skinned Hakimi quite easily in the build up to he that did, and, yeah. I mean, we were quite surprised really that he wasn't a starter when this tournament began, weren't we?
1: I was, I, I mean in one of the prediction episodes I said he would play every minute here and, and I thought he would and obviously he didn't because uh, Herdman switched up his wing backs and would employ more attacking players in the wing back roles like a Buchanan or even a Davies but uh, hell of a player
0: and at the time, not an outlandish prediction on your part in, in any way. I agreed with you. I thought 100% he would be a key player for this team in this tournament. And and that's not the way things went, ultimately. Um, that header from Matiba Hutchinson, it also just goes to show you, I know luck in sports and in football is sort of a, a dirty word. It's looked at as like, oh, if you were lucky to win, you know, you, you didn't deserve it. Um, but you need luck. You need luck at this level, especially Chandler, as you said, when the margins are so fine. Um, Another day, if if Atiba Hutchinson makes that same header 100 times, on another day, maybe it goes over the line by uh, an inch or a millimeter and you get that first ever point. So yeah, uh, these are the margins that we're talking about at such a high level at the World Cup. And you hope that not only does the level and the quality of this team increase and improve going into 2026, but maybe they get a, a little slice of luck and the breaks are on their side because it sure seems like they weren't. Uh, when you take this tournament into consideration overall, even though they didn't have the quality at the end of the day to advance a break here or there. And and maybe some of these results actually look a little bit different.
1: Uh, Well, you win some, zero. You lose some. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Three. And I saw actually kind of a dumb tweet. I won't say who it's from, but uh, the 1986 World Cup, they lost all three matches and ended with a minus five goal difference. 36 years later in Qatar... Three defeats and a minus five goal difference, but two goals scored. I mean, it's not fair to compare the two, but yeah. I just did. Did that come from at
0: Daniel J. Rouse?
1: <laughs> no, I don't trust any, anything that fool
2: says.
0: <laughs> um, okay. Before we take our break here, you know, we talked about kind of who stood out from this game. What about the tournament as a whole for Canada? And, and who do you think enhanced their reputation the most
1: uh, slim pickings, maybe Tejan Buchanan, who's already boosted his stock as a valuable member of Club Bruges' Champions League last sixteen side. And what's a little under a year? He didn't move there until uh, January. I guess Buchanan seemed the least daunted by the magnitude of the stage, and was one of the few Canadian players that performed consistently throughout the tournament. Um, going into the match, he was joint tops in the tournament uh, with Alfonso Davies and a few other for successful dribbles. Uh, per match. And that's sort of the panache and the moxie that he plays with. And 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 he played with it on this stage. And I could see him playing in England or another big league in the near future. I think he's a really quality player. And um, yeah, good for him, I guess. But slim pickings again.
0: Yeah, I think Club Bruges is certainly just a stepping stone for Tejan Buchanan. There are bigger and better things to come from him. And we heard Jonathan Osorio say, you know, in one of our preview shows here in that interview that Tejon is someone that he was very excited for the entire world to see what he was capable of. And I think we did see that.
1: And how far he's come in such a small window. Like I mentioned one of the previous podcasts, four years ago, he was playing for Sigma FC in Mississauga. And like, yo, shout outs to Mississauga, big up to Square One Mall and all our friends out there. But it just shows the leaps that he and many of the players have taken in a very short time frame.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think Richie Larea as well is someone who comes to mind. You've talked about Tejon Buchanan and playing without fear. I think Richie has that same uh, element to his game. Less flair, certainly, going forward. But this is a guy who, (laughs) something we've said a lot on the show, not shrinking in the moment. I think Larea embraced the moment, embraced the challenge. Um, He's always willing to get into the face of the opponent, which we absolutely love. Um, There's just no fear. And up and down, on the flanks, nonstop, Rouse, especially after such a disappointing um, spell for him at Nottingham Forest where he barely saw the pitch. I think some people will look at Richie's performance in Qatar and say maybe he does deserve a shot and he can actually perform at a big stage at a big level.
2: People should look at his performance and his character. I mean, this is a guy who got done by Orlando City and couldn't find a club for a while as well. And then, you know, from what I've heard at Nottingham Forest, um, he just wasn't impressive at all there. The word I heard from there was lightweight. Um, and a lot of people thought it was a vanity move by Dane Murphy, who's the executive there. He came from DC United a few months prior, maybe wanted to make his, put his stamp on the club by bringing someone in for Major League Soccer. And it just really didn't turn out for him there. But you no, know, with this knock at Orlando City, with this knock at, knock at Nottingham Forest, he's coming to this tournament now. And you know, I, I know that a few Forest fans are saying, well, maybe he can come back and do a job for us. I mean, he's only on loan at Toronto FC from Nottingham Forest. And You know, with that desire that Larea has, with that drive that he has, why not give him an extra go now? He's got to be worth it. If he can perform on this stage, he can certainly perform in a game against, I don't know, Fulham in the Premier League, can't he?
0: Yeah, playing against small clubs like Manchester United shouldn't be a problem for him after this.
2: Easy peasy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, let's take that break now. And then on the other side, we'll take a a wider look at this tournament for Canada, our favourite moments, the big lessons that we learned and what to expect from this programme as we begin to focus on co-hosting duties in 2026. All that and more coming right up. All right. Welcome back listeners. Before we move on here, a reminder, if you haven't already to download the score app, Canada's run in Qatar may be over, but there is plenty more to come from this world cup and we'll have in-depth coverage throughout the remainder of the competition and beyond. Whether or not it's a treasure trove remains. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: you took the words right out of my mouth.
0: Okay. Tournament review, guys. Look, on the surface, Canada played three matches, lost all of them. They're level with Qatar as the only teams not to record a point. And I think we can all agree that Qatar are objectively the worst team in this tournament. One of the worst teams perhaps that we've ever seen at the World Spoiler Cup. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um So again, on the surface, that's very grim reading, but Canada earned plaudits at various points, and I think rightfully so. They pushed Belgium to the brink, even though Belgium are completely washed. They had Croatia rattled early. They pressed late and created chances against a very stout Morocco side. Chandler, would you deem this tournament a success or a failure for Canada?
1: A relative success. Uh, And despite the missed opportunity against Belgium, it's clear that this group was among the hardest in Qatar that provided a task That came too soon for a Canada team still on its ascendancy, if you will. And this isn't just a happy-to-be-here type statement, more so proof that Canada has the capacity to compete on the world stage, Uh, though it's apparent that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, With all due respect to familiar continental foes like the United States and Mexico, uh, we've waited what seems like an eternity for Canada to compete against the likes of a Croatia and a Morocco. Uh, and these tests, I guess, albeit humbling, will do more to grow this team and its players than fixtures against an El Salvador or a Jamaica. Um, and if I can get really philosophical here, I mean, isn't this why we invest our time in emotion in fandom? Experiencing the highs makes enduring the lows more palatable. Uh, which is a welcome substitute for years of continuous lows paired with you know clutching at the straws of a rare and modest triumph. Um, it feels good, so get used to it, because Canada is here to stay.
2: Very positive. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, very positive. Thank you. Um, in terms of this being a success or failure, I just don't think it matters. Um, I think what matters is what lessons <laughs> they take from this. I mean, like surely objectively it's a little bit of a failure. I mean like Canada will finish this tournament as the second worst team there, which is pretty embarrassing. I know that group was you know really, really tough, but that's still no having a thirty-first best record at the tournament. That's awful. But I think it's all about the lessons they take from this and that's you know, with Herdman, maybe don't be so candid in interviews. Maybe iron out some of your tactical naivety. And I think for the players, probably the sobering realisation that Canada right now does not belong to the international elite. Um, I think we have kind of found out that Belgium are nowhere near as good as a lot of people gave them credit for. And I think, you know, maybe a positive from this, from having zero points, is that if Canada nicked a draw from, I don't know, Morocco today or nicked the well or took the result they deserved from Belgium, maybe that wouldn't have been so good. Maybe maybe these players would have thought, oh, maybe we're quite close, you know, maybe the gap isn't so big. Whereas the, this big round zero says to them, there's still a long way to go. There's still a big room for improvement. And there's a lot of hard work to do in these next three and a half years to make your fans proud on home soil.
0: You mentioned the key phrase there, and that is what's the lesson that they've learned? We were going to do this later in the show, but since you hit on it, let's do it now, Chandler. Lots of lessons to take from this tournament, a lot to be learned What's the biggest thing that stands out to you now?
1: Yeah, treasure trove of lessons. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That elicited a, a laugh. Um, look, I think my main lesson uh, to keep it a buck is that we're not at the technical level required for major major tournament successes. And like I said in the moments after the Croatia drubbing, technique usually wins out against heart and ambition. And Canada have gotten this far on the ladder uh, but need to make significant leaps in terms of the former. But again, it was a learning experience. Alistair Johnson spoke to the media following the match in the mix zone and admitted that the partisan Morocco support in the stands at the Al Thumama Stadium was unlike anything he's previously been party to. So that's one of many learning experiences for this uh, inexperienced Canada team. Daniel, you're looking at me. I know you have something to say here. No, I don't have anything to say. (laughs) I I,
2: I was was just thinking, though, like, no, it's going to be good because some of these players... Are going to move over to Europe these next few years, and someone like Alistair Johnston is a perfect example of it where it's going to be really beneficial for him to be kind of like thrown face first into the old firm derby and experience that atmosphere because he's going to be you know, definitely in, in better shape going to the next World Cup for that reason. Obviously, having the home crowd is going to be important in 2026, but there's going to be a lot of travelling fans from Mexico and other countries where the atmosphere could, again could be quite hot, but he'll be used to it by then.
0: Alistair in that interview said it was the craziest quote craziest atmosphere he's ever seen. He's about to get a lot crazier. The old firm Darby and, and the Scottish fans and the Celtic fans, among the most raucous in the world, certainly. Um,
1: I think assuming Johnson's going to be in better shape is overlooking the trappings of Scottish cuisine. But <laughs> 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 fair enough.
2: You're not you're not keen on a battered Mars bar, no. Mm, I am
1: actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we know what we're doing after this, yeah.
0: Um. One thing that stands out to me, and John Herdman has talked at length about this, I think during every press conference he's given, every interview he's given in Qatar, about Canada evolving into a football nation. We're here now. You reach the World Cup, there's a certain status that comes with that. But also, as we've seen, you know there are unexpected challenges and off-field distractions that come with that. An innocuous comment about Croatia in a group huddle ends up with a naked caricature of your coach splashed across the front page of a Croatian tabloid, and it develops into a global story. It means you have to deal with horribly conceived hit pieces during the tournament about your star player from, frankly, self-aggrandizing entitled media members. Everything is amplified now. And so I think the biggest lesson is perhaps not just for this group of players, but for the country as a whole, how we interact with this sport, with this team, and everything that encapsulates as we look ahead to 2026.
2: Well, your answers are certainly better than mine. Oh, it doesn't matter if it's a <laughs> success or failure.
1: <laughs> now, I like how you're mixing a little existential dreaded. It sounds legit on account of having a British accent. So it mm. sounds like you know what you're talking about.
2: Well, well right. the Brits don't know what to do, and do they? Look at the political situation. But that's another conversation for another day. I think, another podcast. Yeah, another Entirely. podcast. Yeah. Um, but you no, know, I think we can safely say there are, a lot of lessons to be taken from this, which is, it has to be seen as a positive, doesn't it? Well, while, while, and that's what I'm saying, the success or failure, it doesn't matter. There has to be a lot of lessons to take from this. There has to be those sobering realizations and that, you know, all those things that happen to make 2026 as successful as possible.
0: All right. Nearing the end of this show now, but let's, uh, let's try and close things out on a high note as much as we can. Your favorite moment of the tournament for Canada, when you look back Is there something specific that you would like to crystallize and hold on to here, Chandler?
1: Why, yes, there is, John. You know, less so than one particular moment. And if I may, from a personal perspective, um, I'll always remember the groundswell of support and excitement from non-fans and casual observers. I mean, there's football nuts like you and I that live and breathe this stuff that were very uh, excited and anticipation of this tournament. But like friends and family who had previously expressed like zero interest in the sport, reaching out to me, asking me about Herdman's squad selection and the formation and stuff. It's just really been a joy to see the country get behind this team. And and for so many years, we had success uh, on the international stage from the women's team. And, and there's been a little bit of support for them. But now that we have support for the men's team, maybe it'll also grow the support for the women's team and, and it'll just, you know, um, bear fruits going forward.
2: I think that's a really refreshing way to look at it because I know when it comes to, you know, big tournaments and say when, you know, we experience Toronto teams going to the playoffs and all these, you know, fans kind of jump on a bandwagon, people are just like keen to push them off and say, no, this isn't for you. You haven't been through all the ups and downs. The door's open. Like people, you know, Canada, you know, f- football needs the support, not Canadian football. But, you know, pro- proper football needs the support in this country. And, uh, and and it's been really, really lovely. So, you know, as I echo Chandler's thoughts, to have people who didn't really seem that interested in sport asking me if I go down to the pub and watch a game with them and stuff like that. People who've been voicing opinions about certain places. it's It's, it's been pretty really good to hear.
0: Yeah, Chandler, like, there's room on this ride uh, for everybody. We don't need to, to push people off. We don't need to push people away. Because I think, aside from the fact that the team was so poor for so long, that's also something that helped keep the program in the kind of doldrums that it was for a long time.
1: Yeah. And the more the merrier, like I don't care if you've been supporting the Canadian program for 30 years and you're a devout member of the Voyager supporters club, or if you're just new to it, like there's too much of this sort of BS tribalism, especially in club football where, Oh, you can't support Arsenal. You didn't grow up in the shadows of, uh, you know, Highbury. You didn't grow up on Islington. Like it doesn't matter where you're from. Like, I mean, for example, like a guy like Rouse, you know, who is a longtime Manchester City supporter, had season tickets at Main Road back when their best players were like, I don't even know, Paolo Wanchop or Sean Goder. Sean Goder.
2: Hey, they were like our best players. Exactly, <laughs> right?
1: Like, but he's happy to have more City fans. And if you want your club or your country to be able to perform on on the biggest stages, more support, the better. You know what I mean? Like, let's stop being gatekeepers about the sport. I'm happy to have more people supporting Canada, regardless of of how much knowledge you have about it. And we talked about the lessons and the learning experiences for Canada. Um, This groundswell of support and having more fans become educated is going to help that entire process.
0: Yeah, there were people who saw that Alfonso Davies goal against Croatia, and perhaps that was the first football match they'd ever watched. Maybe it was the second football match they'd ever watched after Belgium. The more, the merrier. I think it's exactly what you said, Chandler.
1: That is exactly what I said. There you go.
0: Um, (laughs) These moments that unite people instead of dividing us, it seems like a cheesy thing to say, but it's true. In a footballing context, in a sporting context, and as this country goes forward, as we build support for the entire program, men's and women's, youth, everything, um, things like that Davies goal, or else people are going to remember that.
2: Yeah, and it's, um, you know, definitely picking the obvious one here, but it's certainly my favourite moment of the tournament, I mean it not only was it the first goal for Canada at a World Cup it was also a goal of supreme quality Tejon Buchanan after some pretty wayward deliveries against Belgium putting in a perfect cross in at about post and it was a great header by Alfonso Davies and You know, that was certainly in a studio a a little snapshot of our supreme bias when we're bouncing around to that goal. But it was just such a...
0: I didn't know you guys could get up like that. I'm telling you, you almost hit the ceiling. (laughs) Holding one another, it was quite a tender moment.
1: Well, it helps when you're not five foot six, but (laughs) (laughs) let him out. This is the last episode. Get him out now, fellas. Smoke him if you got (laughs) him.
2: But, you know, just that, that moment was obviously incredible. And i remember it for the rest of my life, but also, you know, the 10 or so minutes after that as well, where, you know, Juranovic was getting dizzied and duped by Davies at every turn. Like, it was just like, that's when it really felt like, yeah, that was pretty incredible when, you know, Canada just felt like they were really part of this.
1: Man, 10 of those 270 minutes were amazing.
0: <laughs> 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 well, always hold on to those. Um I go back personally to the, the five to 10 minutes or so just before The opening game against Belgium kicked off. We were still riding that sort of tidal wave of endorphins after qualifying, seeing the players in the tunnel. It was that allure of the unknown in that moment was really powerful. It was exciting. It was a little frightening having that nervous energy, not knowing what was about to happen. I think that was brilliant. And in hindsight, it was bittersweet because personally, I'm never going to experience that again. I'm never going to have that same feeling going into 2026. And future tournaments, there will be a sort of aura of familiarity about all of it. And so the sense of pure mystery, first World Cup game that I've ever been alive to see them play, uh, I'm going to miss that.
2: No, it's, it kind of reminded me of like when you're at university and say some friends from back home come out on a night out, and it's kind of like weird to get your head around, you know, university friends and friends from back home hanging out together. And it was kind of like seeing, you know, Eden Hazard alongside Kamal Miller and, uh, Kevin De Bruyne alongside Alistair Johnston. Like it's like, oh, you two were actually part of the same party. It seemed a bit weird after all, you know, after kind of watching Canada, you know, back, you know, only a few years ago toil against some really, really bad teams in CONCACAF.
0: Yeah, 2026 will definitely feel different. I'm curious though, will it look different on the touchline for Canada? I think we have to ask the question, John Herdman, is he going to be the manager of this team four years from now, three and a half years from now? for that home World
1: Cup. I'm not sure. Uh, We found out in the aftermath of Thursday's defeat to Morocco that he's under contract through the 2026 World Cup. That said, his response to the query about his future with the program was hardly definitive, and he sort of said, I've got more passion for this and more spirit. Like, I'm glad we can quantify that, but can we get a point, like a point? at the world cup. Uh, And in terms of chatter about him getting a position with a club in the English championship or whatever, I'm not sure he's ingratiated himself uh, from a tactical perspective. And I think a lot of people will look at it as uh, maybe a manager that has the capabilities to be a great club manager, but uh, he's not quite there yet.
0: Yeah. He sort of invoked the Arnold Schwarzenegger will be back speaking of his team as a whole, but he didn't say I'll be back (laughs) and he didn't do the, the accent either. Um, Look, he said that he was going to remain with the women's team um, before he ultimately left and went to the men's team. And, you know, opportunities come up. And on a personal level, you have to take those chances when they arise. I think there's genuine questions to be asked about whether or not he's going to be here in three and a half years. I think his stock was certainly higher, Rouse, before this tournament started than it is now from a tactical perspective, all these things that we've talked about. But if an opportunity does come up in club football, a championship club perhaps, maybe that's something that he leaps at. I don't
2: necessarily agree that his stock was higher before the tournament. I think perhaps in Canada, yes. But outside of Canada, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, in his homeland, England, for example, probably wouldn't have known who he is. Whereas people are aware now, people, you know, hopefully aren't too tarnished by the second and third games and kind of like remember the performance against Belgium and perhaps that has boosted his reputation. In terms of, getting a job at a championship club now, I think that's very fanciful. I think he has to do a lot more. Um, If you think about, you know, Graham Potter, obviously in charge of Chelsea now, he took a team in the Swedish fourth tier up to the very top and won trophies with them. Herdman's ultimately won nothing. When Potter did that in Sweden, he got a job at Swansea City in the championship. So Herdman's got a lot more work to do before he gets a job like that, I think. So, you know, while he would be tempted for, you know, with a job at a you know, high-spending championship club. I'm sure he'd certainly love it, because that's, that could be his ticket to the Premier League. I don't think he's got enough on his CV to get that job right now.
1: I agree, and the whole rah-rah-rah only gets you so far. And I think on the international stage, um, it merits more respect and holds more value than it uh, might when you're dealing in club football and day-in, day-out rigours of it.
0: The championship in particular, like that's a grind, Ross you play a thousand matches a season. Um, and if you're not up to snuff tactically, you get found out really quickly and things can go sideways really quickly.
1: That's too many matches.
0: That's not far <laughs> off from the actual no, schedule you're right, right you're now. Right.
1: No. <laughs> no, I think he'd,
2: um, you know, I know he's from the Northeast of England, but I think that people would be very skeptical about his experience. Maybe like almost weirdly xenophobic towards one of their own you know, countrymen because he's his experience has only been in New Zealand and Canada. And I think... You know, if the first few games didn't go well at a club that was spending big in the championship, I think he'd get completely chewed up over there.
1: But look, we've been ragging on him quite hard, especially over the last few episodes, but um, in support of him, we also were incredibly skeptical when he took the men's job Mm after after leading the women's program to unforeseen heights, there's so much skepticism uh, and it was unchartered territory. We'd never seen that before. And and look, he got them to the world cup. So part of me is, you know, thinking dance with the one that got you there. And then another part of me is thinking maybe he was the guy to get Canada to this level, but not the one to put them over the hump. Um, it remains to be seen, but uh, we'll see in the coming years what happens, but it's three and a half years. Till the next World Cup. Long time. It's an eternity. A lot can change. Yep. Uh, I do think, you
0: know, it's important to note, yes, he has absolutely transformed this program and he deserves enormous amounts of credit and that cannot be overlooked. Everything he's done, both with the women, as you said, Chandler, and now with the men, new heights. And, and a lot of that is down to John Herdman and a lot of the players credit John Herdman for that. So, yeah, some naivety tactically and some things that he certainly learned from but um, he's provided a great foundation for this team to build on towards 2026. And I personally hope that he's there and he's the one to see out this project at the Home World Cup, which we're going to close out here by asking you guys, you know, what are realistic expectations for Canada in three and a half years' time when they'll play home matches at the World Cup? And how far do you think this team will grow until then? And what kind of performance can we expect from them going into that tournament?
2: I've said it for a while now. I think Canada's uh, target in that tournament should be the quarterfinals. I think with the uh, you no, know, this experiences all the all the learnings we talked about earlier in this podcast. Players like Ismail Kone, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, you no know, Buchanan, you no know, some of those with the exception of Davies, of course, will probably move to bigger clubs, have b- bigger experiences, improve as players. You've also got these young players that we've you know heard about for years, like uh, Jaquiel Marshall, rutty and Jaden Nelson, who are going to be joining the program and becoming you know basically focal points in the senior team for years. I, I think they can have a real, real high expectation going into that twenty twenty six tournament.
1: Yeah, I like your optimism. Add to that crowd Theo Corbinu and uh, Luku Coliaso. I hope I'm saying that right. But all these guys we're mentioning are attackers. There's a wealth of attacking talent. Canada really needs to improve between the sticks and at the back. I think Dane St. Clair can be that guy, but it's not Steve Vittoria. It's not Kamal Miller. Uh, and to a lesser degree, it's not Alistair Johnson. And Three and a half years does seem like an eternity, but it sneaks up on you. These international windows come fast and quick, uh, and we have to produce some central defenders. We have to produce some midfielders, or, or else Rouse's uh, quarterfinal expectation seems way off. Uh, no offense to you. And also, this is going to be a 48-team tournament. We don't know what the group stages are going to look like exactly. There's so many uh, unknowns, but um, I have a lot of hope, but there's a lot of work to be done.
2: No, I think you're right to kind of bring me down a little bit there, uh, Mr. <laughs> Doom and Gloom in the corner. But um, I, yeah, I think the obviously concern, we talked about it again and again and again, is the central defence. Um, yeah, maybe this team might be at its very best in 2030, um, you know, because that's when you've got enough time to produce enough central defenders. But I still think there are enough parts here where if there are one or two who emerge from the Canadian Premier League who are half decent central defenders, I think the talent around them that is coming through and that is already in this squad should be enough if the if the draw works in Canada's favor to get to a quarterfinals place.
0: I think as well, Chandler, you mentioned earlier Tejan Buchanan's sort of meteoric rise over the last calendar year. It shows that players can develop very quickly. Players who were not on the radar at all prior to, uh, prior to their emergence. These things can happen quickly. So if that can happen for Tejan and some of the others like him in a year, year and a half, two years, who's to say it can't happen in three years, three and a half years for the, the greatest position of need, which we all agree is uh, central defense.
2: Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, if these players manage their clubs club careers well enough, I mean, Liam Miller is technically a very, very skilled player. If he manages his career well, there's no, nothing to say that he's not going to improve dramatically in the next three years. So, you know, as long as they've got good agents behind them, as long as, you know, Herdman advises them through their career a little bit as well, there's no reason why we shouldn't see huge improvements from several players in this squad. And then obviously the ones who are on the outskirts of this World Cup squad.
0: Yeah, lots of room for improvement. And I hope we see that improvement as we head into the 2026 World Cup, which should be a real festival of football in this country. Gentlemen. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up today's show and to wrap up this podcast series. Um, It's been more of a sprint than a marathon. I think we all hoped it would be a magical run to the knockout stage and we could be here for a full month talking about this team that we all care for. But we've enjoyed every last second of it. We hope you felt the same way listening and being on this ride with us. been a privilege to experience Canada's return to the World Cup together. And despite the disappointment, it certainly feels like we're on the cusp of bigger and better things for men's soccer in this country. But for now, that'll do it for us. Today's episode was brought to you by Pathways Alliance. Climate change is a critical challenge, so Canada's six largest oil sands companies have joined forces on a path to net zero. See how at pathwaysalliance.ca. I asked you guys earlier who enhanced their reputation most at this World Cup for Canada. Two people that certainly did. Three people that certainly did. Mr. Daniel Rouse, Thank
2: you to everybody for listening.
0: Mr. Michael Chandler.
2: I echo those sentiments and toodaloo.
0: (laughs) Shout out to Anthony Lapopolo as well. It's been a pleasure doing this with all of you for the past few weeks.
2: You've done okay as well, Gianluca. You've
1: done all right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. You guys will be the judge of that. The listeners will be the judge of
1: that. Fair (laughs) enough. It's a tall and short of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What a note to end on. Thank you to our wonderful producer, Dylan, to our excellent producer, Greg, who's on vacation. We hope you're enjoying your time. We wanted to have Greg uh, give a little shout out on the final show, but Dylan came and stole his thunder. Um, Most importantly, as always, thank you guys very much for listening in one way or another, whether it's a new podcast, whether it's 2026, um, somehow we'll talk soon.